0: Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at WorldArchFest.
1: Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm Paul Finch, Programme Director of the World Architecture Festival. Uh, Welcome to Berlin. Uh, It doesn't seem like 10 years since we launched the festival in Barcelona in 2008, uh, but indeed it is. And in some ways, um, we were lucky that we didn't just do one successful festival, and that was the end of it, because when we launched, it was six weeks after Lehman Brothers went bust, Um, And with sort of impeccable timing, uh, we managed to create this event just as the world economic situation went into meltdown. Um, Fortunately, our media company owners, EMAP, um, had faith in architecture. uh, The architecture review, which was the magazine from whence WAF sprang. um, And here we are uh, 10 minutes later. And for those of you who haven't been, what we try to do at this festival is to make it inspirational and informative. It's a kind of layer cake of uh, events. There are always four or five different things you could be doing at any one time. We had a record number of entries uh, this year, 933. Uh, We'll have 2,000 delegates across the next three days. We launched, to mark our 10th anniversary, an additional set of awards looking at future projects which are in tune with what we think are some of the key issues that will affect architects and architecture uh, over the next 10 years. Uh, you just got a brief glimpse of some of the buildings that have won uh, our Completed Buildings Award over the years and I just want to very quickly just to run through those in respect of this year's conference theme um, which is about uh, performance. Um, Our first winner, uh, back in 2008, this was by Grafton Architects, University Luigi Boccioni uh, in Milan, which they won in an international competition. I think it's fair to say Grafton, uh, uh, two women founded the practice based in Dublin, uh, and were not hugely known uh, outside Ireland. But over the 10 years, what a fantastic kind of career they've had. Um, and they are the curators uh, for next year's Venice Biennale. Um, Bob Stern, who was one of our super jury members that year, was particularly taken by this project. Not really a Robert Stern sort of a building, but he admired in it the kind of spirit of the 60s and the creation of huge volumes uh, through concrete structure. The next, the next, uh, can we go back? one, thanks. The next, this is by Peter Rich Architect, South Africa. Um, this is a kind of uh, community and visitor centre, quite a different kettle of fish to that university in Milan. And what interested us about this wasn't just the architecture, which was, was pretty spectacular, uh, but the way in which the local community in this part of Southern Africa had relearned traditional construction techniques, which had been part of their culture for thousands of years and had gradually fallen away uh, under the impact, I guess, of of modernism. Um, And there was a wonderful kind of academic and historical program of uh, relearning how to do these vaulted structures uh, and it made the project a very worthy winner. Um, So the following year, um, a, a European winner in Rome, um, this was Zaha Hadid, the Maxi Centre for Modern Art. Um, one of our super jurors um, was the uh, architecture curator at MoMA, and he, he visited this building before it finished, and he said it was a building about which he'd had to change his mind more than any other piece of architecture he'd ever seen, because he assumed that it would be uh, hopeless at displaying uh, art. But when completed, and when he saw how they'd used it, um, he was full of admiration. Also Catherine Gustafson, the Landscape architect, admired this project because in, in her terms the kind of sweeping lines made it part of the performance of Rome um, and part of a cityscape in a very flowing way. Uh, our last year in Barcelona, we were there four years, um, actually was won by a project in Barcelona itself and this really was about environmental performance, um, gas filled pads on the exterior uh, of this kind of a building for startups uh, in, in an area of Barcelona, just just in inner Barcelona, but not right in the middle. Um, Eric Ruiz Galey, um, Cloud Nimes, the name of the practice. Um, I haven't spoken to him recently, but I know he's a great Catalan nationalist. I hope he hasn't been jailed yet. We then moved to Singapore, and by a slightly spooky coincidence, having done a Barcelona building in Barcelona, we moved to Singapore, um, and this project, um, led by Wilkinson Air, but a really interesting team of architects, environmental engineers, and landscape designers, for the first time, the, the super jury said, we want the entire design team to be given an award, not just the architects, and they were very happy about that. Um, another extraordinary piece of environmental performance because a lot of the plants here it's a sort of reverse of the European winter gardens because what they have to do here um, is to keep um, plants that couldn't possibly survive in Singapore's hot and moist climate. Another complete change of geography, um, Richard Francis Jones led the charge on this, he's speaking later this morning actually, Um, a a very beautiful community-based uh, museum. So you were taking sort of two ideas, one pretty much of Western culture, but then how do you apply that uh, in a sensitive way in respect of a quite different um, part of the world? Uh, how do you respond through use of materials? And telling, telling a, a wonderful story, but in some ways also a story which has some tragic overtones. And then our tiniest project ever, this was uh, Richard Rogers was very keen on this. He chaired the Super Jury that year. This is a kind of community chapel, which I think sort of doubles as a cafe. It's a sort of cross between community centre, drop-in centre, somewhere for sort of vaguely religious ceremonies. This is in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, And, uh, you know, these uh, architects, uh, I think were really unknown outside Ho Chi Minh City, even if they were known inside it, A21. And actually we've noticed over the years that the, the, the amount of architecture, good architecture coming out of Vietnam uh, is really very interesting. Now the complete change of scale and geography. Um, 2015, uh, Ola Sheeran, fresh from designing the um, CCTV building in, in Beijing with Rem Koolhouse. Um, kind of set up on his own and, and carried on what had started as an OMA project with a series of stacked uh, towers, but the, the towers are stacked horizontally, so in marked contrast to everything around it in Singapore. Um, and it was con- took considerable ingenuity. This works. I've been there. The public spaces work uh, at height, um, and it's been it's been very successful. And then last year, uh, Robert Konieczny, this is in in Stettin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Poland, and this this was a community space, it was the site for for focus of, of protest and community activism over many years and it's now become um, a sort of rather grand open space, in winter it has snow, they use it for sledging. And Beneath this sweeping uh, rooftop is a, a local museum, so it makes a considerable contribution uh, to the history of that city. So all these, um, all these buildings are examples in their way uh, of how architecture can perform in different contexts, psychologically, uh, politically, <clears throat> from the point of, environmentally, and we thought about performance as the theme for this year 's uh, kind of conferences three stages. Um, and it seemed to us that performance is something that often is simply thought about in kind of kind of functionalist terms, but that actually um, really good architecture, performs at many, many different levels in, in many different ways affecting individuals and collectives, um, hence our choice of it uh, for, for this year's theme. And that's by way of introduction to our first keynote speaker at WAF 2017. Uh, Rafael Vignoli has been a great friend and supporter uh, of this festival. Uh, he chaired our super jury uh, in 2009 um, and as I'm sure you know, has been responsible for significant buildings uh, in many of the, the geographies we've just been looking at. Uh, I finally got to see completed uh, his Tokyo Forum building when it was used for the UAA Congress in 2012. A uh, magnificent building which had absolutely uh, stood the test of time. And his interests uh, are, are wider than structure. Um, his own... Um, interest in music. Uh, He's a sort of top level pianist. Um, I think is reflected in many of his buildings which have a a certain sweep. I think they're rather symphonic, although he might might say something about that uh, in his presentation. Um, But I'm delighted that uh, he's been able to join us again this year. So please welcome Rafael Vignoli.
0: Thank you Paul and um, I'm delighted to be here um, it's refreshing and uh, inspiring as uh, <clears throat> as Paul mentioned before um, to see so many friendly faces and um, uh, images that are uh, uplifting and uh, fulfilling in in, in terms of the expectations that all we collectively have regarding the future of our discipline, <clears throat> I didn't have the chance to talk to Paul. Uh, every time that Paul calls me, it's like an order from a higher authority. And uh, <clears throat> I knew I had to talk about performance, and um, uh, I. Um, I had uh, literally a completely different lecture uh, as of um, last night. <coughs> and uh, in, I, I landed a couple of hours ago and I, um, in the plane I, I thought that it was a good opportunity although in 30 minutes this topic cannot be even superficially touched but somehow to raise some topics which have to do much more than with images, with the state of our discipline. Um, My first thought was that uh, uh, somehow Paul mentioned before was that uh, he wanted me to talk about precisely the relationship that he um, alluded uh, a second ago. I mean the fact that um, I have been involved in <clears throat> during the last 35-40 years in, um, in a number of spaces for performance. All, all of these images that are sort of kind of roughly put together in this one single image were the lecture before this trip. Um, But I thought that it was important to reconcile this notion, as Paul mentioned a second ago. How do we? What? What is performance? Why performance is is such a loaded notion in terms of what it means, as it refers to potentially the predominance of function. Um, It is a term. Loaded with a number of other disciplines uses um, is something that has a lot to do with science in a way but it has to do with uh, finance it has to do with art it has to do with um, <clears throat> design in many ways I mean in designs that are areas of designs that that are not particularly architecture um, And uh, the reason why I thought that this was pertinent was because I, as Paul mentioned before, in my previous life, I wanted to be a pianist until I heard really good pianist and decided to become an architect instead. But um, why did I do that? It was because in, in the intimacy of what you have to do when you have to perform with all the psychological and environmental implications that it has. There is a sense of uniformity, a kind of universal level at which you have to operate. Um, otherwise you don't, you don't have a place. <coughs> um, my connection to uh, performance uh, in general has a lot to do, as I said before, with my hobbies, if you will, or my secret um, um, sort of vocation, uh, which is it relates to that event of taking a score and playing. it. But I also work on stage design, of course in spaces for performance, and became very involved with a community of users that that actually are uh, uh, collectively under this sort of sense of um, uh, excellence that needs to overcome a certain threshold of acceptability. Um, and I heard... Um, From them, a lot of times, um, not necessarily only criticism, but basically questions about why isn't architecture conceived as a form of performance? Um, And um, why is it that it is so absent from our jargon? If it wasn't for Paul, we wouldn't probably be talking about it. Um, what What is it that makes um, uh, this term so loaded with other sort of previous interpretations of the of the ideology of modernism? <clears throat> um, we all are essentially still haunted by the by the three F's, as I call them, f- function follows form, or, fo- or form follows fa- function. And all the inter-combinations of these uh, three words. And um, and think that, uh, in a way, the, um, the, the, the thing that is missing is that Even if we were to advance the notion that we could conceive our work as making uh, um, uh, an act of performing, which I clearly think is a very valid idea, uh, still seems to me like um, is a terminology that uh, as I say, appears to being um, critical, fundamentally because uh, for us that assumes, I think, for the community, assumes that there is a a, a categorization of, of of different performances, and that's something that in 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 the typical environment in which performers are. Uh, completely uh, part of the deal somehow they' n- they're nothing else than performers musicians actors uh, performing artists i mean uh, plastic artists um, the, the 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 notion that there is a particular way of performing is just completely unacceptable there, there wouldn't be any performing arts if if there was a definitive way of playing a piece of music or, or acting a play. <clears throat> Not even that, I mean, or, or in science, for instance, even in mathematics, the, the way in which you actually um, demonstrate the, um, the, the, the true of a theorem doesn't necessarily have one single way to get into it. There are different ways through which you can come to the same conclusion. <clears throat> and it seemed to me that um, the perennial question that all of us that have participated in, in uh, juries uh, confront one way or another is that the first question is, does it work? Um, so you clear that box first and then you start talking about something else, I mean at least in professional competitions. I mean, it's not the same than that in, um, in the realm of academia in a jury or a, in, a, in a review, somehow. But to me, the, the, the key for that is that there is no one single way in which it works and, as it was mentioned before, there are many levels at which a performance needs to Uh, um, uh, that needs to fulfill and contribute in order to be um, valued critically. Um, So for instance, if you play the piano, you can play a different tempo, your dynamics could be completely different and your performance can be as valid as the next one which is exactly the opposite of what you've done. But there is one aspect of uh, performance as a notion which I think is missing in architecture, which is that in any of these other disciplines, in science, in industrial design, in technology, in 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 um, in art, there is at least, in terms of the disciplinary uh, 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 environment, an agreement on the level at which your performance can be judged critically. And by that I mean that if there are no standards through which you can actually judge a, a, a piece, and those judgments are pretty universal in science, in finance, in many other places where the notion of performance is an active uh, measure. Uh, if, if you don't reach those levels um, you're not just not ready to perform um, and it seems to me that that is what is missing in terms of how we use the term in architecture that there isn't a clear universal agreement on these basic thresholds of acceptability that are not just a series of uh, boxes to check, but a perception that the work is valid. And to me that is a a fundamental part of this analysis, which is that we cannot discuss um, uh, or introduce this notion uh, if it isn't through an analysis of what makes a a, a building um, uh, reach that level of acceptability. And what, what, what I mean by that is that once you reach that level, the question becomes a, a, a question of criticism, essentially how the culture consumes that performance. Uh, what does it do to uh, elevate it? What, what is discovered through this particular way of performing? In all of these uh, fields, uh, uh, the idea of how something works or what is that threshold evolves with time and evolves as long as what is being produced is something that elevates the field. In other words, that is not a rehash or it is not a, a, a simple notion of... of um, uh, fake or originality, but something that redefines the field, redefines the piece. I mean, pieces that are um, um, you know, ancient scores that get reinterpreted and, 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 and contribute to the evolution of the language. <laughs> um, what I think is, uh, Is then critical is that we need to make a certain effort and the way we make that effort is a complex one to get to at least establish a certain level of acceptability on the work that is being produced I mean each of these fields is a field of production it's a practice it's a practice made out of uh, um teaching practicing and criticizing um, but at the same time offers a, an output <clears throat> um, the reason why we haven 't actually reached that level is in in some form the the Uh, result of shifting or changing the order of this proposition rather than you know how spaces uh, satisfy the need for performers how can we analyze buildings on the basis of uh, how space performs (coughs) Um, I think that the lack of this notion is at least uh, if not completely responsible but um, it is uh it is a cause as as well <clears throat> as a victim of the place in which the discipline is today, which is um The decline uh, of uh, the scope of the discipline, our crisis in education, the bastardization of architectural criticism, and above all, the absolutely amazing imbalance between supply and demand when you look at this thing from a structural point of view. that also comes together with a crisis in, in terms of the demographics of the profession, um, and I think that tracing that decline, the decline of that notion of what makes a building performance acceptable, um, is a uh, is a is a labor of a, a lot of time and time that we don't have today, but I wanted to only walk you through uh, uh, what has been my own personal experience. I'm not a historian, and I'm, I'm not a critic, but I have been around for almost 50 years doing this thing, and I think that there are a number of... Uh, processes almost decade by decade that could be plotted to understand how that decline occurred and they are most of them connected to crises in the economic cycle but also in the in the crisis of the culture of um, of the west and <clears throat> and how the shifting of uh, of the uh, uh, scope of uh, of, of, of the discipline um, uh, became uh, sort of uh, critical to a point of making the profession practically um, impossible for most. <clears throat> I think that after I, I joined the workforce in the late mid-60s and the mid-60s were fundamentally characterized by the memory of the uh, heroic phase of modernism. We, we all, people my age, I mean, we're all sort of witnessing that process. That, th- that was uh, fundamentally uh, uh, a, a, a very confusing moment because it was the moment in which uh, 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 Public dimension of architecture became uh, uh, made, became a, a, a source of uh, of marketing. I mean, something that I strongly believe that was invented by Corbusier, uh, who was the first intellectual that understood the virtue of uh, of, uh, of, of creating a public persona, but also. If you, if you look at the, uh, the structure of the, of the discipline as a whole, it's the moment in which uh, uh, is the post-war uh, era in which the invention of the corporate office um, occurred. Um, and that is, a, to me, a fundamental part of, uh, of how these things started changing significantly. Um, is also the beginning of the idea of specialization in architecture. The fact that you could not know everything and that you might as well sort of concentrate on a building typology and uh, try to collect uh, and dilute the notion of individuality into a larger structure is an American invention that was taken over by uh, uh, Europe and, and then the, the Asia-Pacific area. Um, and all of that also came together with the shifting of the center of, uh, of, uh, of the culture as if the, the physical center of the culture from the center of Europe to, to America. <clears throat> During the late part of this uh, decade, uh, a decade that was populated with people of an extraordinary talent that were doing, like all the way through, ama- amazing work. <clears throat> uh, so we all were uh, uh, taking over by the uh, by the invasion of postmodernism. Uh, that's attributable to a to an ideological crisis that has a lot to do with the. Events of '68 and and the failure of the left to become <clears throat> essentially operational, um, and that hit the mid '70s, in which the first real crisis after the crisis of 1939 in the global economic uh, outlook occurred. I mean then. Uh, the drop on, on the way in which the profession had some impact on the built environment was absolutely dramatic. <clears throat> that came also together with the notion that people needed to retrench because it got combined with the notion that, with the idea that somehow architecture was a discursive field, It's the beginning of the idea of autonomy um uh, of, of of a of a world within which you could operate unrelated to the subjects of real life the insertion in a product production system which is the construction industry as a whole and <clears throat> it, it's the beginning of the inflation of academia and um, with that came a debasing of the knowledge uh, uh, body of architecture, in other words, what was typically a process of education through um, um, apprenticeship, and with a very sort of kind of um, unpopular um, uh, uh, outlook of what it was to become an architect, really uh, uh, hit the, uh, the, 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 the break of creating an environment where this notion of experimentation without knowledge surged. And to me, that's also an absolutely fundamental uh, point, which is that um, that's the the first fundamental criticism to uh, the field, which was that you could actually um, uh, access to that experimentation was always valid even if you didn't know what, what you were experimenting about um, that uh, migration to academia also hit at the middle eighties i think a another phenomena which was that the the impact of information technology the beginning of the distribution of the flat image, which is also something absolutely contrary to the nature of the final product that we work on. Um, And as a result of that, two things I think happened, which are quite important, which is some some redefinition of the idea of leadership. Uh, Leadership did not imply that you had experience. And the second one that's, uh, which is, I think is very critical too, is the uh, sectorization of the practice. in other words, it's the beginning of the invasion of consultancies um, since the construction industry continue working I mean in a primitive way because of the lack of progress and technological development in the in the construction industry is also remarkable. The, uh, uh, the stuff that we used to do got broken into uh, a number of pieces, some of which were absorbed in the corporate office, some of them were lost and occupied by people that really had a very specific business uh, um, uh, uh, model, which was to uh, extract a portion of the service and create an an illusion of expertise that actually was completely justified because the workforce uh, became uncultivated. Essentially, <clears throat> um, the. Uh, the thing that happened after that was the creation of this celebrity phenomenon. And, and that's something that in places like this, you can see that there is an enormous amount of production of extraordinary level of design that doesn't have the recognition that it, that it is typical in what became the Star Architect system, <clears throat> um, and what happened immediately after that was that, because people in, in because the the, the the practice essentially got distributed, um, the obvious consequence of that was was the sort of growth of style as a realm of. Uh, very little intellectual uh, analysis. I mean, it was literally accepting the fact that you could um, that you could adopt a certain modality and develop it as long as you know things were aligned and 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 you could build it. Um, And that has uh, a tremendous level of confusion, added a tremendous level of confusion, because what happened was that the corporate office incorporated, um, you know, what uh, in the 80s used to be called the form makers. Uh, uh, People with relatively short experience that were facile with uh, the manipulation of form that got also um, encouraged by the um, uh, impact of of, uh, computer aided design and and, and, uh, not in the face of what um, the uh, production of drawings and the whole sort of uh, uh, implementation package got together but fundamentally the three-dimensional programs that started coming into play most of them coming from essentially the culture of, inter- of, 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 of industrial design. That's the reason why buildings look like, you know, <clears throat> bicycle helmets or sneakers. And um, that that process is evolving at this moment, um, but essentially is where we are today. I wanted to show you. Only two very depressing images, they are not original, um, uh, which are basically this, which is an account of the number of architects uh, per people per country. And as you can see, China has the fewest amount of architects, and Italy has the greatest amount of architects, and that explains a lot about it, but essentially all of that needs to be compared to this other picture, which is by far more interesting in my mind, which is on the year that we're about to finish, the output of the economy in construction is almost $9 trillion. Out of that package, our field only is involving $264 billion of that output. Now, that accounts for literally less than 2% of what constitutes the reality of the built environment. All the other implications about sustainability, um, sort of social uh, interests, I mean, public realm all of those things get completely wiped out when you look at this picture. Because, you know, we're supposed to be the people that could actually interject the culture, contribute to modify the nature of the Um, uh, Of the assumptions that define that define a program We used to have a say in political redistribution of population all of these things have completely disappeared and I don't think it's the fault of the industry. I think it's the fault of the discipline Um, uh, So what what's coming next Um, I think one of the most frightening, to me, frightening things that is not frightening, actually, in a certain way quite wonderful, is the fact that we haven't actually even started to perceive the real impact of the information technology in design. 50% of the work we do is basically optimizing an idea. Not just searching for it, but basically making it into something that we're sure that checks all the boxes, and that checks them with a certain criteria of balance. And and once again, in terms of how it should perform. Now. I I'm old enough to think that this would never happen, but I'm also aware enough of the fact that there are cars that drive themselves and that you can actually reprogram healthcare through a database that is you know incommensurably larger than what we can perceive. So why wouldn't it happen that in design terms artificial intelligence wouldn't actually help us create that process and make it automatic. I still think that the choice the a human component of this thing is something that becomes therefore a hell of a lot more important where the actual responsibility of, of social and practical responsibility towards the building performance will remain with us, architects. But I think that if any process is really predictable here is the process of concentration rather than enlargement, which, as I said before has a an enormous impact on the on the demographics and the educational system <clears throat> um, there are and I didn't want to bother you with all of this. I found over the last three or four days an enormous amount of charts coming from fields that are really unrelated to the uh, Royal Institute of British Architects or the American Institute of Architects or anything like that, just basically people that think about construction, where you can see the position uh, of the discipline in relationship to the decision-making process. And it's not only lamentable is really dangerous. And I think that what comes next is some kind of recognitions of this process of shrinking that it's paired up with a claim for um, a a much more universal level of knowledge and how do we retool ourselves to be prepared for the next 30 years, which is something that most of you probably will see, and and for which, you know, we're probably dormant as to what what should we do to be prepared for that. So if you reestablish the notion that there is a certain level of acceptability, that it is more or less universal. That's the reason why the judges in this festival could actually look at work for Ho Chi Minh City and and London and Milano and Rome and completely feel totally empowered to judge them is because those works actually meet that threshold. The, The definition of that threshold is not a dogma, is not a, 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 um, a series of precepts, it's fundamentally the result of common knowledge. The uniformity of judgment in any field of performance, in, you know, from drafting to uh, music performance, is completely undeniable. So how do you get to that point? I mean, when I decided to get into an easy practice like architecture as opposed to music, I probably didn't know what I was doing, but I did it predicated on one single realization, which was that I couldn't play as well as other people I had heard. And that was like a sine qua non. I mean, you know, this is something you cannot fake were completely populated by fake enterprises. Not only that, we're also invaded by people that actually practice architecture, that have even less of a training than the one we have. We have given up the full scope of services, and there is a very interesting chart that shows that, on the implementation of design, which, as we know, is fundamentally the act of making, is is fundamentally the part in which the object gets actually uh, um, uh, transformed into a reality. Um, the portion of all this list of architects that actually um, are um, uh, concerned or involved in projects of some dimension is less than 33% on the total list. 77% of the total workforce works in single family houses. Um, That also is a trap because essentially while probably they have even more of a complete experience as to how to put something together, their knowledge cannot be transferred forward so i think that the um and i'm i'm sure i'm i'm over my time as they say in the congress uh, but uh, so w- what do we do <coughs> um i think that fundamentally we need to start from the beginning Every social practice, every industry, every uh, culturally loaded um, activity has always had three legs of the tripod. It has to have training, it has execution, and it has the cultural development that the object itself um, produces, and those. Three things are basically um, education, practice, and criticism. I think the three aspects of our tripod um, are in very shaky grounds. I don't think we teach well, I don't think we practice well, and certainly I think we don't criticize well. Um, But how do you Redesign this, and the only way is to start from education. I think that unless we promote the creation of the new acad- academia, a way in which the specificity of what we do gets revamped and understood, because I, as I always say, it, it is a hell of a difficult job, and. Perceiving how difficult it is, and in how many uh, occasions you can deviate from your goal, and you're forced to deviate, deviate from that goal, is a very difficult thing to teach. I think that registration is a field where, where I think um, uh, another fallacy occurs, which is that um, uh, the notion that is free for all and that you can actually perform at any level of complexity essentially hides the fact, gives room to the the specialists, which I believe are also um, um, uh, limited by their own specialization, in a word. Um, I think there is a phenomenal crisis in the ethical base of how we work. I think we've lost it completely. Um, And I think that we need to create through that kind of initial sort of reshaping of the educational process a way through which we um, become again a fundamental part of the construction process. 87% of the total amount of design work is being implemented by production firms. Um, I remember like today when I lost the competition for the Museum of Modern Art, I had recommended Taniguchi-san to do the building, to to, to be invited to do the building. And it got completely destroyed by this amazing lack of understanding of what it is, the tradition in Japanese architecture, which is that you make it. And this guy didn't make it. Just designed a series of more or less um, sort of um, uh, off the chart, ideas that then became reinterpreted by a production office and the result was really not what he expected. I think that that's the the basic uh, idea what I think that this notion of performance can actually help us all understand. It's It's not to assume that there is a series of boxes that you need to tick, so you can go straight into the discussion as to whether you like it or not, but rather how we, ac- we develop a, a, a critical apparatus that is capable of blocking the superficiality, the, the stuff that it really is, and um, contributing to the redefinition of the program as I always say. I mean the brief is something that we always made and is something that has been completely um, uh, kept outside of our realm of activities. Um, I don't know if this is too confusing or too boring, probably it is. I just felt that it was incredibly important to counterbalance this fantastic experience of looking at images outside of this tent with a moment of reflection for how we actually uh, face what is about to happen. That it is, if we're short of work, we're going to be much, m- much shorter of work in the next 10 or 15 years if we don't do something with it. I suppose that... Uh, Paul still has a category here that is judged about un- unbuilt projects, right? Well, I think that category hopefully will disappear. And every project that comes here will be built. And for that, the only solution is for us to redefine the notion of the discipline as something with an extraordinary level of responsibility with a reach that goes well beyond 2% of this output. Thank you.
1: Rafael, there's nothing like a huge bucket of cold water uh, to get a festival off to a stimulating start. Um, And I agree with about 95% of what you had to say. The happy news, however, and I think you kind of alluded to this, I mean, the, the question of IT and technology and the way that architects may be able to exploit this in ways hitherto unimagined, um, doesn't leave me depressed at all because I think we're already start, starting to see architects taking back areas which they used to control in respect of cost analysis, uh, in respect of, of construction programming, And in a a way, um, it's up to the profession collectively, but also in in terms of individual practice, to see what it can make of these opportunities. And actually, the small firm um, with the power of technology can become remarkably like one of those big production drawing offices.
0: That's also something which is so incredible. I mean, you know, I don't know how many of you work in the United States, but the the federal government is the largest developer in the world. And the way in which you can apply for work with the general service administration, which is the biggest development, is the arms of the federal government that builds buildings, is by filling in a document Called a form 259, in which you fundamentally have to demonstrate that you have more than 200 people, that um, your billings are X above a certain percentage—all parameters that have nothing to do with knowledge or talent or the capability or the result of the capability of incorporating the technologies that you were referring uh, about before. Um, I do think I mean I, my first um, steps in architecture were uh, as a draftman. I know how to draw, but I draw with a computer today, and that has changed my whole outlook of how we work. The thing that is amazing to me is that most of these possibilities are hidden under this idea that you have to be big. And that's, that's a, 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 an extraordinary contradiction with the nature of the product that is expected from
1: architects. Yeah, it is a problem, isn't it, where it's architect selection panels, where the only thing, usually, that the project managers who run these processes in what they're interested in, things that can be measured. They're interested in the numbers. And if you ask a question, has this architect ever designed anything beautiful, Um, they'll start start sucking air through their teeth because you can't actually put a number on that. And that question, I'm gonna conclude now, Raphael, first in thanking you um, for a stimulating opening to our (laughs) festival. Or not. Well, it is stimulating (laughs) because because it has raised that whole question about, um, how could one put it, is there, is there a way of promoting architecture and architectural values in a culture which is obsessed with numbers? In other words...
0: And images.
1: And images. So this is a rhetorical question, but can we find ways of quantifying the qualitative? And I think, in a sense, if architects can do that um, in a way which doesn't deny... Architectural culture, but if you like, supplements it uh, in ways which are, may even be satisfactory to the big bureaucracies who control public spending. Rafael Vigneri, thank you very much.